You are listening to the Small World Podcast with me, Detanga Small. On this show, I want to provide a soapbox for travelers to tell their stories. This all started in January of 2014, when I first traveled abroad by myself. Throughout the next two years, I visited and lived in over 20 countries. But surprisingly, my most vivid memories weren't the beautiful sights of the Machu Picchu or the history of countries in Eastern Europe. It was about the people that I met on the road and the stories that they told me. That's why I started this podcast, to provide a platform so that those stories can be told to a bigger audience. And for you, the listener, to hear perspectives about the world that you may not have considered before. So without further ado, let's get the show started. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you on the other side. Good morning from Toronto. Today, I'll be speaking with Claudia Gross, an international process facilitator, a management trainer, and an organizational consultant. To date, this job has brought her to 43 countries. She's been a part of many initiatives, but most recently, she started running Speak Green, which teaches people a more intentional and life-affirming way of speaking. You can learn more about this at speak-green.com. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Claudia to the show. Thank you for being here, Claudia. Thank you for inviting me. The first thing I want to ask about is, uh, is, is the fact that you've been to 43 countries. Personally, I, I, find, I find it hard to wrap my head around that. And that's coming from a person who's been to 20 countries. So um, personally for me, I never thought that I would visit that many places. It just sort of happened. So I guess the same question applies to you is, you know, when you're thinking back 20 years ago, did you imagine that you would have visited this many places and seen that many things? Or were you always uh, of the opinion that, you know, one day you were going to see that many places in your life? <laughs> no, 20 years ago, I didn't expect that I would travel that much. Um, I definitely had the idea and dream to to maybe study abroad or to work abroad, but I never thought that it could be so many countries. I was surprised myself when I counted them recently. When when you went ahead um, and, and went to these places, or even before that, yeah, because you were born in, in Frankfurt, correct? Yes, that's right. So you were born in Frankfurt. Um, and, you know, Europe, I, I lived there for two years, so it's it's pretty, it's easy to travel throughout Europe. It, I think that's one of the, the biggest uh, benefits of, of the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that, that being born in, in Europe and having that ability to just cross the border without any restriction was uh, uh, helped you to decide uh, that you wanted to, um, to, to live this kind of lifestyle? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, it's... Um... In, in Europe, everything is so close by. And uh, when I when you think about school, I mean, my first school exchange that we had uh, brought me to Paris when I was 11 years old. And this is pretty young. So I've been there for three weeks um, to meet my pen friend, you know, that we used to have at this time. Imagine, you know, this is before emails, this is before everything. So we were writing letters. And... Um, 
that's one of the first journeys I remember. But we, we also easily traveled for summer vacation to Italy, which made us cross Switzerland. We were going there by car and I have very good memories of all these journeys, traveling in the night, you know, like through Germany, through Switzerland, all the tunnels, then waking up somewhere just be as below these huge mountains and then having this whatever sunrise then finally in Italy being out of the mountains and and it's, it's really like whatever travelers are describing it you know even like 200 years ago it's still the same feeling yeah so this is what we did when I was young I mean I remember when I uh, I took a train from Rome to to Naples the mountains were just beautiful so I I, I completely understand what you're saying yeah, in the tunnels, you know, when you are a child, you know, and we were, as me and my sister, we were sitting in the back and there was the huge cooler box between us. So we had like constant access to uh, drinks and sandwiches and um, and we had our pillows with us. So we had it comfortable there in the car throughout the night ride. And these mountains are huge and the tunnels are long and you have to go through the St. Gotta tunnel, which is 17 kilometers, 17. Yeah. I mean, this takes, I don't know, 20 minutes or long. I have no idea how long it takes, but for a child, it takes forever. And there was no, <laughs> and there was no radio at this time. There was no radio uh, in the tunnel. So this was the moment where my father was like switching on a cassette to keep us entertained you know, for the next, whatever, 20 minutes. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> All cassette tapes, yeah, good exactly, times. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's so funny. But yeah, as a good parent, you had to have your tape with you. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Um, you said you said Germany is surrounded by, by all these different countries. But but what about Germany itself? Did you did you travel throughout that, that big country? Because I, I believe Frankfurt's located either south or, or central. It's central, yeah. And, and so you have Cologne to the west. Uh, Munich to the south, Hamburg to the north, Berlin to the east. Yes. Um, you must have had a lot of opportunities. Definitely. I mean, I've been, I had an aunt living close to Cologne, so this is where we traveled. And at this time, the, the borders were not even open, you know. So what we did is it was pretty cheap to do our errands in Belgium and in Holland. Yeah. So every time we went to visit her, whatever we needed to to buy which was i don't know whatever cheaper there in holland we went over the borders and they, we still had these border controls at that time and also to to fuel your car you know i mean we went over the border so this is how close she lived to the border it was these three we call it in germany we call this uh, a triangle of three countries germany holland belgium so i mean this is definitely some of the memories i traveled to berlin i've been in hamburg i've been in a couple of smaller cities that are super beautiful think about i think most of the pe people have heard about heidelberg yeah, which is a student city it's full of culture or there is it now in, in Christmas time, there's the um, Christmas market in Nuremberg, which is also a very like famous place. I've been there. I visited a couple of castles. We have a beautiful landscape uh, along the river Rhine. Extremely beautiful. So many castles, so much history and so many legends. I can strongly recommend to go there and also to take a train and just travel along the Rhine. Super beautiful. And I've never been in Munich until today, except like two, three times I've been there in the transit. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so weird. I mean, most foreigners I meet, they're like, oh, yes, I've been in Germany. I, uh, I've been in Munich. And I'm like, 
That's fantastic. I've never been there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's it's the same over here too. Um, like the the two the two most populated cities in in Ont- in Ontario are uh, are Toronto and, and Ottawa. And up until a few years ago, I, I'd never gone to Ottawa. <laughs> and it's probably the same thing for you, right? It's like why? Like there's not a reason for you to go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know. I mean, I really would love to go, but there was so far really no reason. And, um, yeah, I'm still looking forward to whatever reason occurs that makes it travel to Munich and finally visit it. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so this, this is actually something that just popped in my head. The Berlin Wall came down um, in, in 1989. And I know you didn't live in, in Berlin, of course, but uh, did you notice any sort of change, any sort of change in culture in um, in in just the way people interacted or anything in general uh, in Germany or specifically where you were in Frankfurt uh, before and after the wall came down? I mean, you have to imagine that until these demonstrations started, you know, we thought it's impossible that the wall would come down or anything would happen, you know. I mean, even like throughout these... Monday demonstrations where they met in, I think it was Dresden at this time, where they were proclaiming, proclaiming that they are the people and that the state should like listen to the people and follow the people's uh, requests and needs. I mean, there were these Monday demonstrations, them meeting in a church and then spreading all over the city. I mean, when this happened, we were watching it, yeah, but we never thought that history would then continue as it did and um, I remember how happy we were we were like so thrilled and delighted you know I mean it was like one of the biggest miracles we we used to live with the wall we used to have um, relatives in the eastern part of Germany and sometimes they were allowed to come for a visit and we were sending them for Christmas or other occasions where we were sending them um food and whatever better chocolate than they had <laughs> you know i mean like whatever nice things yeah and that this would happen that the wall would come down was unthinkable and then it happened wow it's so different hearing it from from someone you know who who experienced totally. it i mean yeah I, I would read it in textbooks as I grew up, but that yeah. was never... That's the same for um, our children now. My niece, for her, it's something she has to learn. She's now 16 years old, and she has to learn it out of a history book. And she also, she did not witness when we had this, um, the the currency unification in Europe, you know, when we gave up the Deutsche Mark and when everyone had euros overnight, over like literally on a New Year's Eve, you know, I mean, the day before... 31st of December, the DMARC was still valid. The next day it was euros. And I remember when we were getting the first euros and we're holding it in our hands and looking at the coins and wondering, you know, how this is going now to, to work out. And now when you come to Europe and you're paying with euros, you do not, you don't have an idea of how, how big these changes were for us. But now I can take my, I mean, I don't need to change money anymore when I travel to France or Italy or wherever. And even in Switzerland, which is not part of this um, currency union, they accept euros. And the most beautiful thing about the euro is something, I'm not sure if you know that, you see every country has their own coins. Yeah, So there is 
these kind of, you know, when you look at the Italian coin, you have maybe Leonardo da Vinci on, on some of them. If you look at the German ones, you have a German eagle on it, you know, like, and I mean, every coin has, all the coins from different countries look differently. And the beauty of it is that now they are mixed. Yeah. So now when I just look at the coins I have in my wallet, I have coins from all over Europe. Yeah, I have the Greek ones and the French ones and the whatever ones. Yeah, and this is extremely beautiful. I'm still happy when I find one, you know, that is like coming from a country far away from from Germany and still within the Union. Yeah, I get that. I actually never noticed any any. <laughs> funny enough, I just had the coins in my in my hand, but I never really uh, examined it. I should take a look next time. So, fast forward to to just the middle of 2016 when when brexit happened for example and you know the all of these all of these uh these these events happening around the world that, that point more towards um nationalism i guess we could say as opposed to uh to you know the unification that brought uh the european union to to be created in the first place and I, I mean i know you haven't been you haven't been living in in uh in europe for the past uh decade or so but when you when you watch and and hear these things, uh, it, do, do you do you feel the same way that you did before with like the wall coming down? Well, for me, it's a bit different. When I think about the Brexit and also about all the other discussions other countries here in Europe have about maybe leaving or maybe staying and not being so super sure, for me now things have changed. Um, and of course, I mean, now it's 25 years after the wall came down and this world is a completely different world. The term globalization is not just a, a word. It's something we live and we experience every day. And for me, when I now hear about people who want to leave a union or want to leave um, whatever contracts we have, I find this funny because I, I see that we are all sitting in the same boat yeah, and maybe we need to change the contracts or the way we are dealing with each other. But at the end of the day, where do you want to leave to? I mean, you are not going to Mars, you know. I mean, like you're, they are still <laughs> here on this on this beautiful planet, and um, I believe we need to get along with each other. And therefore, when Brexit happened and all these whatever statistics and who was voting how, yeah, I thought, oh my goodness, this is a kind of political game, and it's a kind of misunderstanding and it's not necessary and this is just bringing some people backwards while we are actually moving hopefully in another direction yeah exactly but going back to yourself i'm trying to piece together how you went from being uh, you know born and raised in frankfurt to to where you are now so i suppose my next question is what was the first country that you visited that was outside of Europe? Ha. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I, I actually, what I had in mind is a different country, is a different journey. But now, since you asked this question like that, the first country I visited outside of Europe was uh, Kenya. And I was 14 years old. And it was a little bit funny because it happened that um, I won this travel in a quiz that we had here in a newspaper and um, it was connected to olympic games and i don't know so the olympic athletes would come to kenya and we would have the chance to travel with them or meet them there the german athletes and 
Yes. So I won this in, in, in this kind of quiz to, to the surprise of myself because I did a lot of like uh, quizzes and I sent them my answers and stuff and I never won anything. And then suddenly this journey and it was for two persons. So at the end of the day, my father and me, we traveled there and it was incredible. What, what, uh, what part of Kenya did you go to? We've been by the beach somewhere and we We've been a couple of times in Mombasa, but I don't know where exactly this resort has been, where I've been. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it was so different <laughs> and so tasteful. I remember that I really, really enjoyed the food and these fruits, you know, like fruits that you buy here in the supermarket there. Yeah, I mean, you, you just find them. So so now I'm a bit interested because uh, you, you said um, you had an, a, a different, you had a different um, idea in your mind for the journey that you took. Uh, yes, so... I just told you about another journey that was really important in my life. <laughs> Please. Kenya. <laughs> That's what we're here for. I, uh, <laughs> I'm more, more than happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, because um, I, when, I, when I thought about journeys that really matter in my life, uh, one of them is that I traveled to Ghana just after I finished school and the intention was to go there and um, stay for 10 weeks. And three out of them would have been working in a uh, in a work camp, which I did, you know. And then the rest of the time I was traveling in Ghana. And this period between school and university was so important because after I came back from this, this wonderful time in Ghana and I started at the university, I grew so much stronger and I had so much more confident, confidence that um, when I then started studying, <laughs> I was such a completely different person than the one that finished school a couple of months earlier. So since then, I recommend everyone to travel, uh, to send the kids abroad if they can, because it's such an important experience. It is. Um, I mean, I can speak for that personally. Uh, although, to be fair, I sent myself abroad, but that was. <laughs> but that, uh, yeah, it was great. But that, that, that's another story. Um, so, uh, I mean, you, you went to Ghana. You had you had a, a change. I suppose you had a perspective change, correct? Like it wasn't. Um, it was even more. You know, it was not just about the perspective. Um, when I came to Ghana, um. It was the first time that I was backpacking, the first time that I had all these whatever medical checkups before and I was traveling with half of a pharmacy to be on the safe side and at the end I didn't need it. Yeah? But this was like really an adventurous journey and what changed was, you know, I when I came back I started psychology and there they did a personality test with us at the beginning of the studies regarding, um, well, extraversion and a lot of other um, dimensions. But in this extraversion one, it's a questionnaire, you know, they call it Big Five. It's five personality um, traits and, and they are traits. Yeah, and what we found there is that my test score on the scale of extraversion was beyond the 95%, which would have been the normal range. So my score was not anymore in their manual, in their evaluation manual. <laughs> so they looked at me and they're like, 
what was what is going on with you you know i mean you are like more extroverted than anyone who is like who was used for this validation um, valuation whatever manual and i told them well you know what i've spent um eight weeks in ghana <laughs> and If you're not extroverted, you are not going to find a good hostel. You are going to miss the bus. You are not going to be invited to anything. You are just missing the the whole life. Yeah? So you have to have a 360-degree radar. You need to be extroverted. <laughs> so this is something that happened there. Interesting. Because, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think we did the same test um, at all, but... Um, I've done a Myers-Briggs test and, uh, that, that always says like, I'm always extroverted. I'm always way more on the extroverted side than the introverted. And I always thought about that. Like, can, it's, I'm pretty certain that, that most people who are extroverted can go around and travel solo or just do uh, adventurous things. I don't think that is, um, that's exclusive to, to extroverted people. I'm, I mean, we can both agree, uh, mm -hmm. introverted people can do that as well. But I, I do wonder if, um, if, if you think it changes the way, um, that somebody would experience traveling or seeing a country, um, if they're more introverted versus extroverted. I would assume that they, that they would be different experiences you know and i mean they they i mean what i could imagine is that any experience if you're traveling as an extrovert or an introvert will be super super interesting on the other hand what i what i definitely would also expect is that uh introverts would end up more extroverted than before <laughs> yeah mm. Simply because they um, will be confronted and will experience so many different situations and encounters and meeting people that I would expect them to, yeah, open up more, you know. Although introversion is a personality trait, but I would doubt that it would stay the same. It would be interesting to do these kind of tests, actually, like pre and uh, post traveling. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> to have solid data, but yeah, I would assume that this is going to be the effect. That's what I would think too. Um, and uh, because you know, when you're traveling, you half of it, or more than half of it, I would say, is just has to do with the people that you meet. It, yeah. It's really difficult to <laughs> to travel um, and and really get the full feeling of a culture if you're not meeting people from that locality. It starts already in the airport, you know. I mean, when I think about the people that I've met in airports in general, if it is like the airport in Cairo or uh, in transits, you know, I've met so many people. And since we now have Facebook and LinkedIn and stuff, I'm connected to to the really precious ones of them, you know. And um, so this is where the, where the journey starts. Yeah, and there's a certain, there's another atmosphere in the airport. This is already the thing. And then sitting in the plane, yeah, the longer you travel, the more likely it is that you're going to start speaking with your neighbors. Yeah, and every person you're talking to is like opening a universe. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. It is, it is. I, I remember when I was flying back from New York and I met, um, I, I met a woman who was, uh, she was just visiting New York, but Her husband was apparently a fighter in World War II and uh, and and passed away um, in the war. And she was just mentioning like, 
you know, how her life was before and after that. And I, I, I mean, at first I wanted to interview her, <laughs> um, just out of, just not because of like out of selfishness, but because her story was so interesting. And yeah, so mm. I totally you know, get that part. Yeah. I mean, what I, re- I mean, I didn't, yeah, I didn't expect that I would speak about people I met on planes, but one important encounter I once had on a plane was at three o'clock in the morning. I was traveling back from Islamabad to Dubai and I was super tired, yeah? you can imagine. So I was boarding and sitting uh, by the window and the lady, there was a lady sitting in the same row like me and the seat between us was empty. She was sitting at the aisle and I could feel that she's super excited, you know, and super hyper, hyper and that she wanted to talk while I was so tired. And I was just like, no, I don't feel like talking. Please don't talk to me. <laughs> and then she was like, are you also going to Dubai? <laughs> <laughs> Well, sure I am. We're sitting in the same plane, don't we? And she's like, yes, do you live? Do you know Dubai? And I was like, no, no. Have you ever been there? Yes, but not so long. Ah, you know, but, you know, I'm going to travel there. I'm like, yes, I I thought so. And she said, yes, you know, my husband is living there. And I said, wow. And then I thought, okay, forget about sleeping. This is going to take a little bit longer. And I looked at her and I said, okay. So your husband is living there. Fantastic. And so you're going to visit him? No, 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 no. I'm going to live there. You know, like, oh, fantastic. Con- congratulations. And she said, yeah, because, you you know, I haven't seen him since eight months. I'm like, oh, wow, this is a very long time. She said, yes, we got married eight months ago. I'm like, wow, <laughs> congratulations. You know, and now you're going to see your husband again? She's like, yes. And then we started talking and throughout our conversation, I found out that she knew him exactly for the wedding night. She didn't know him before. So she literally only knows him for these eight months that they haven't seen each other since the wedding. And I was sitting there and I thought like, oh my goodness, I know ladies like her only from the news. Yeah. And she put on her hands she has put the the henna like in the wedding night and she was wearing exactly the same dress not the wedding dress i mean i would have recognized this but this whatever other dress she was wearing afterwards so she wanted to look as if no time has passed since she and her husband have seen each other can you imagine (laughs) i was so touched you know and um well, we had a long conversation about arranged marriages and marrying out of love or not out of love and um, super, super interesting. I will never forget her. That is a, I mean, that's, I can't imagine that. I, I can imagine it happening because I trust you and you just told a good story. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, just the idea that First of all, that you could you could be away from somebody for that long after only have been meeting them once. But then again, I do, the story I just told before, <laughs> it's pretty much the exact same thing. So I guess it's not that um that that strange or that 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 much uh, that weird in this no. case. And when you think about it, you know, I mean, train stations and also airports, they are filled with emotions. Uh, people seeing each other again after uh, having been away for so long or waving goodbye to people that they really love and not knowing if they're go- going to meet again. Or even if it's just for smaller journeys, there are so many 
tears of joy and tears of sadness in airports and train stations. I think they are like the most emotional places on this planet. Wow. I honestly didn't even think about that. That is, because yeah. uh, I mean, you, you, when, when I travel, um, and like, you know, my, my mom would say bye or one of my siblings would, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you only think about them. You don't, you don't really look around and see the other people that are, that are leaving as well. Yeah. Um, especially the people who are on the same flight as you, like you don't, you don't think about what their journey is and whether or not they're going, um, because they live there and they're returning or because maybe they're going on an exchange as well. There's, yeah. there's so many stories just on that one plane. Totally. And I, I see this when I travel to Egypt, yeah, because I lived there since 12 years and, uh, normally it's the other way around. People are going for vacation to Egypt, but me, I'm going home. Yeah. So it's a completely different feeling and um it already starts at the check-in where i'm coming with three suitcases which i'm entitled to because of my frequent flyer card Uh, but sometimes i had a table plate with me because i needed a new desk and i had decided to buy it in germany so and the guy at the check-in looked at him and was like what is this and i said it's a table and he said okay where are the legs and i'm like they are in the suitcase and And um, then I got this extra luggage because he just felt pity for me. Like, oh, really? You're living in Egypt. How is this for a woman alone there? Like, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, no, no, no. Forget about the luggage. We just pretend it's diving luggage. So you have another (laughs) extra and uh, enjoy your journey. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess from extending from that question that he asked, I would I would suppose that I have the same question, which is which is um, I mean, first of all, uh, you went from traveling uh, just in Europe to to going to Kenya, and you had a uh, you had experiences in Ghana, and of course, you've been to to other places. But Egypt, uh, it's um, to be honest, I don't know that much about Egypt. Uh, I know that there's pyramids, um, and I know everything I've read in a textbook and maybe news that comes up every once in a while. So I want to hear more from you about. First of all, why you chose to to stay in Egypt? What what is there um, that uh, that? And I'm not. I don't know if if maybe there's something unique about the place. Maybe there's something that you couldn't find in other places. Um, so please elaborate. I'm 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 so curious. <laughs> well, the first thing I have to admit is that I did not plan to to live in Egypt and. Even before, a year before I went there, a friend of mine, she asked me if I would like to join her for a Nile cruise. And I harshly refused. I was like, listen, I'm neither traveling to Egypt nor to Morocco. So let's choose another country. Because I somehow I heard so many bad stories about how tourists might be treated, especially like um, women traveling by themselves. And so I decided that it's not the right place. And somehow God must have listened carefully. And he was like, okay, what did she just say? Okay, let us send her to Egypt. Yeah. So I got this wonderful offer to travel there and to work there. And uh, it was completely uncommon for an organizational development consultant and HR specialist to work in a development country for the, in a development project. So it was really a stroke of luck that made me go to Egypt. Yeah, and... Um, what made me stay in Egypt is that after having lived there for two years, 
and having the choice of leaving and going somewhere else, I was looking at the world map, literally standing in front of it. And I thought like, okay, wait a moment, I could go everywhere. And in Cairo, I have the highest number of friends per square meter. And this is what made me stay. And this is why I'm still there. Wow. That was not the answer I was expecting. Yes. So would you say that, that in Cairo it, it was easier to make friends? It is. Mm, well, no. In Cairo, it's not easier to make friends. Um, well, when I came to Egypt at the very beginning, I met a lot of people. And when you imagine young people meeting in a, in a foreign country, we are becoming the extended family of each and everyone. So mm -hmm. you immediately get um, mobile numbers of people you just have met. You have the chance to call them at three o'clock in the morning to ask them if they have the number of a dentist or if they know whatever, you know. So you, you need each other. Yeah. So this is how what makes it maybe easier to meet foreign friends. When I think about Egyptians, of course, I mean, at, let's be honest, it is easier to... Uh, to meet male Egyptians, if you are a woman, it is a matter of trust and it takes longer to really have and build good friendships with female Egyptians. It took me a while. Um, and I mean, now I have friends that I know since 10 years and we are really, really good friends. So we went through a lot of developments together. Yeah, so I, I developed friend circles of friends in this um what they would call an expert community and then more and more and then Egyptian community. And yeah, so this is how it developed. And so you went to Egypt, was that through, um, or when you first went, was that through a job? Yeah, it was really by chance, you know, because as an um, organizational development expert and an HR specialist, Normally, we do not work in development projects or in development countries, but the German Technical Corporation at this time, they needed exactly this kind of profile because they wanted to um, professionalize their HR management in the different offices they had in the region from Morocco to Afghanistan or Pakistan. So they were looking for my profile. And at this time, I was freelancing and working for them already here in Germany in the headquarters. They sent me the vacancy announcement. They asked me to spread it in my network, which I did not do. I applied myself. And so I got the job because normally for psychologists, you know, when they work in development organizations, they would work more in the field of conflict and trauma, which is completely different countries, completely different setups. Yeah, so it was really a stroke of luck to get this job. And uh, this is what brought me to Egypt. And at the very, very beginning, I expected to be there for two years. I kept my flat in Frankfurt. I have subletted to a Brazilian couple. And I expected to come back after this little adventure of two years. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I want to touch a bit more about the, the whole freelancing part. Um, because, you know, the first time we spoke, I was saying you are living the probably the dreams and the hopes that a lot of other people have uh, in and all over the world, not even just in a certain country where you can uh, work from anywhere. You have flexibility to live in different places. So 
first of all, that gives you the flexibility to stay in, in Egypt for 10 years or more than that. You know, they call this phenomenon uh, the uh, digital nomad, where you can just work from anywhere and and still travel at the same time. Was this the goal for you or did it just so happen uh, or, or did it just happen to be the case um, after the way your life panned out? Like, were, were you planning this? <laughs> no, I didn't plan that. I mean, at the, <laughs> in the very beginning, you know, when I started uh, studying psychology, I thought I would work with women and girls and it would be more about whatever. Um, yeah, strengthening their rights. This is the very beginning. And then throughout my life, there happened a couple of beautiful coincidences that led me more into this development uh, work. And when I worked for them, I thought it would also be pretty stable and whatever, supporting these different offices. And it was planned that I would work more in Africa, but always contracted by them. And so, no, it was not my 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 um, plan to work like this at all. What I can say is actually I'm not a, a normal um, digital nomad, yeah, because what I see is that the the pure digital nomads are traveling and most of them are blogging about their experiences. Yeah? So the, the traveling is becoming their, their business and they are sharing how they do their own marketing and how to whatever promote what they do. And there's even now these uh, digital nomad summits where they are like spreading also this kind of travel vibe and travel wires. For me, it's different because when I travel, I travel to to work and to support teams and organizations in different countries. So this could be short-term assignments and they could be then repeated over a couple of whatever, yeah, a couple of times, a couple of months. And I also travel for, for pleasure. Yeah, I travel to volunteer in the uh, Elephant Nature Park in Thailand. This is what I did this April. I traveled to to learn to dance tango. This is what I did this October, November. So it's it's not a digital nomad what I do. It's more hmm, traveling for work and pleasure. And so that's that's a. <laughs> it, I actually just thought, think the whole digital nomad thing is kind of. I mean, first of all, it's um, I think it's great, but I think it's funny sometimes that I see. Uh, some people uh, who make their entire living off of telling people how to, like you said, how to um, how to work and travel, but their entire job is like it's exactly what they're doing. Like like essentially, the advice they give is write a travel blog and talk about how you make money while traveling. Yeah. Plus, I wonder when the what they call the market is saturated. You know, I mean, how many people are reading uh, travel blogs? I don't. You know, and I, I'm not reading any blogs, to be honest. So, um, I wonder. That's actually interesting that you mentioned how... that because I I don't read blogs much either. I mean, I used to, <laughs> um, but and and like that that was more for like learning um, certain skills. But beyond that, I don't. I don't know. I mean, we're probably not uh, normal in that sense. I'm willing to bet there's a lot of people that read them, but maybe maybe the difference is that we travel, you know. And I mean, you could write a blog about your experiences. I could do the same, and at the same time, I don't have 
I don't take the time to write about my experiences. At the beginning I did, and people loved the long, whatever, emails that I sent at the very, very beginning. And then I didn't have the time and somehow I got interrupted. And now, I mean, I do not find it so particular anymore. I wouldn't, I rather read other things and I'd rather write about other thoughts or ideas that I have, but not about traveling. Oh, I completely understand. Because, and I think maybe we could, we, we relate on this thing. I don't write about my experiences traveling because, or I mean, if I do, it's, it's usually very specific, like a specific event, but I can't write about it because I just can't explain half of the time what happened. Um, I can, I can tell, like you and I could tell stories, but the feeling that I felt, you can't explain that. Like, um, when I, when I climbed to the Machu Picchu, that, it was just a feeling. Like, you can't explain how amazing the sight was when you actually see it in person. And so I kind of gave up. Because words cannot, I mean, they, words are beautiful, but I mean, these kind of feelings, um, they are, they are also so personal, you know, that it's so, so difficult to express them and on the other hand I also I mean there there are so many experiences that I really do not want to share I want to share them maybe with the people that are there with me or with a close circle of family and friends but beyond this no why should I yeah, yeah I know exactly um and I totally understand that like it's uh, some of it's private and some of it you just you, you feel it and you just want to keep it that way um and so and so I get that but uh I guess extending from that point, do you feel like like uh, traveling as a part of work and just going to different countries, um, do you feel like you've gotten used to it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm used to pack my suitcase. I mean, this year I was I had like 60 flights and I think a couple of bus rides and train rides. So I packed my suitcase 60 plus times because sometimes I was also traveling without within a country where, where I had to change um, hotels or stuff. Yeah, I'm very much used to it. And I have a couple of things double. I mean, you can imagine. I mean, stuff that people normally forget. I now have them double. They are already there. They are set. They are part of my travel gear. And I don't forget them. They are already in the suitcase. And um, yeah, and also, I mean, the whole thing about going to the airport, the processes, yeah. Sometimes it reminds me of this movie with George Clooney. I don't remember the title, but where he is like checking out which queue to stand in, you know, to like to be to go really fast through the security checks. Yeah, And I do the same and I'm ready. I have my laptop out, I have my shoes off. I'm not wearing a belt. You know, if I can travel with sneakers, I prefer going with sneakers or flip flops yeah, instead of high heels because there's always metal in high heels. <laughs> so these kind of airport procedures, you know, I'm and packing, unpacking, I'm I'm highly skilled in this. <laughs> so I mean, like, uh, so I guess I want to extend from that as well because uh, you know, for me, um, since moving back to Toronto, I, uh, I mean, I love the city and everything, but I've I've fallen into a routine, which is not bad. I, I don't want to make anyone think that like that's a bad thing. Routines are good because it provides structure and it provides predictability. But sometimes routines do get boring. So to extend off of the fact that now you're used to traveling and, and just the whole process of packing and going to airports and things like that, do you ever find yourself bored? 
No, I'm, I'm not bored of it. It's sometimes a bit confusing. You see, I mean, also to reduce some of the of the confusion, I use the same taxi driver that picks me up in Cairo and brings me to my flat. And sometimes, I mean, when I'm traveling twice within a week or within a very short period of time, I'm a little bit confused. And he too. I mean, he's asking me, okay, which terminal do we have to go this time? And where do you travel? And sometimes I really don't know because it could be that, I just booked a, uh, a ticket yesterday for another flight that I'm going to have in a couple of weeks. And this information then interferes with the travel information that I need for that flight, you know. So it's sometimes a bit confusing, but I, no, it's it's never boring. That's exciting, really, because like, um, you know, for me, sometimes I do fall into a routine and um, and it does get boring because it's it's the same thing and Sometimes you don't particularly like what you're doing at the time, um, but you're doing it out of necessity. Um, uh, and I'm, that's not the case right now for sure, but it's definitely happened in the past. So um, I think that gives hope to some people as well because um, I've spoken with quite a few uh, uh, colleagues and friends of mine who um, who are almost afraid that they'll, they'll get used to, to living a life like that where they travel a lot because – um, they feel like they'll they'll miss out on the, you know that like that that childlike excitement when you first go to a new country or, um, or you you try a new food. I think they're afraid of of losing that. Um, so I'm just happy to hear that because I, maybe it's different for everybody, but at least one person I know, um, who has done this, which is you, uh, doesn't uh, can can say for sure that they're not bored of it. No, and it is also changing the levels. You know, it's getting deeper into it. I mean, when I think about Pakistan, there were six or seven years in a row I went there on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because the colleagues that I met there, I could we could see the changes in our appearances, you know, or then their kids grew older and they showed me the pictures and um, they, whatever, changed the decoration and the office, or I don't know, I mean, things have changed, politics have changed, so it was interesting to see this development, and we got deeper, we had different conversations. At the beginning, you know, the first time we met, it's like, okay, another foreign consultant, are we ever going to see her again? How much time do we invest in speaking with her? But then the years after and after I was invited for, for dinner, sometimes people forget that the consultant is in the country. So you end up having a lot of dinners by yourself. But there, I mean, they took care of me because they, they, um, we had seen each other a couple of times before. So we had a different relationship or then there was a, um, a very important party um, or celebration of the daughter of a friend of mine. You see, now they became even friends over this year. So I was invited to to that celebration as well. And so even if you're going to the same place, um, it just deepens the the relationship. You see different layers. You, yeah, there's one shop in Pakistan in one of these. They call it supermarket. It's it's an area where there are a lot of shops, but it's not a supermarket. It's just it's a it's a huge market, yeah. This is why they call it supermarket, yeah. And there are many in Islamabad. And um, there's one particular shop where I always go to because I love their clothes. And um, and it's it also is always different, you know. And the ladies that I meet there, and the conversations we have, and the fun we have, you know, I mean, like, it's it's 
yes, I know where it is. Now I can go there by myself. I don't need any support anymore. I find it by myself. And it always deepens the experience. So no, it's, I cannot, I mean, for me, it's never boring. Not at all. Good. <laughs> that's, that's good to hear. That, that's all. Uh, that's, that's great. Um, I, I feel like there's a, there's been a lot of time that, that we've spoken and I feel like I could speak to you for such a long time, but, um, we both have probably have things to do. Like you probably have to sleep. I believe. Uh, where are you I right know, now? No, no, no. It's I'm in Frankfurt because it's Christmas, so I am here to to celebrate with my family. And um, yeah, now it's five thirty over here, and it's dark outside. And yeah, I still have some things to do, but this is only due to the fact that the colleagues in Turkey they are having a normal working week and for them today was Monday and they were expecting emails from me and <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't want to keep your colleagues from Turkey waiting so I, I just I want to ask maybe a question or two more and um, first of all how many languages do you speak I, I assume you speak uh, Arabic since or French since you speak uh, since you live in Egypt correct Yes, I mean, I, of course, German is my mother tongue. I speak English. I speak French because this was actually my first foreign language. I speak Arabic for my day-to-day -day use, and I keep on learning. And what I now want to learn, and I started with it like slowly, is Spanish. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, this would be then the next addition to my languages. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, <laughs> good, 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 good. Um, so I guess from there. 43 countries. Um, I keep on bringing this up because it's such a big number, but, uh, I mean, some of it must have been a blur when you, when you've traveled through it and some of it, um, I mean, you must have some sort of, uh, attachments to, to certain countries. So what has been your favorite country besides Egypt and, and besides <laughs> Germany? I can't, I can't yeah, let you off that easy. My first answer, yeah. And besides Ghana, because you've mentioned that and besides Kenya. So, 39 more countries. <laughs> uh, which which areas did you did you have the most fun? Did you enjoy the most? I mean, definitely amongst my top five would be Thailand because of this beautiful experience in this elephant park, yeah, which is it's it's beyond words. Um, another favorite country for me, South Africa, because it's so rich and so. I mean, these land, landscapes are stunning. The, the, the history is something you can dive into it and dive deeper and deeper and deeper and you will never <laughs> reach the ground because there's so much to discover. Um, so these would be definitely favorites. And yeah, and then, I mean, it's so difficult to decide because there are many beautiful countries I've been in. Oh, that's totally why I asked. I... Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I want it to be difficult because it's the same thing for me. I can't really say what countries are my favorite. That's a, I mean, even I admit that's a pretty weird question because every country and every place you visit has something uh, inherently unique about it. And now just when you asked me, you know, I mean, for, I was like my, my, my mind was tra traveling over the world map and I thought like, wait a moment, okay, I've been there. What did I like about this? Okay, and I love this and this and this and this. So it's really difficult to decide. Another country I, I would love to add is def def uh, definitely Cuba. Um, 
because when I've been there, we traveled for, for three weeks in a row and we traveled throughout the whole country. And I didn't speak a word of Spanish and I couldn't dance salsa. And after I came back, then I decided to learn salsa. This is 15 years ago. And we went after we watched Buena Vista Social Club. Because at this time, we thought like, oh, my goodness, you know, um, what happens if Fidel Castro dies? You know, so this was 15 or maybe longer ago. Mm-hmm. There, it was fantastic. I mean, it's like traveling back in time and being surrounded by music and excellent country. But how relevant is that today now? Right. I mean, Fidel Castro yeah, has exactly. has passed away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is now, I'm, I, I was really holding my breath, you know, when I heard about these news and I was like, oh my goodness, we had anticipated this so long ago. And I mean, thankfully, he lived so much longer for himself. Thankfully, I'm not sure how other people see this. I don't know enough about the politics there. Yeah, but now it has changed, you know, a lot of things are going to change there. And um, still, I, I thought about traveling there again soon and maybe also go to the going to the salsa festival because meanwhile i learned to dance salsa and i mean it would be the perfect place to uh continue dancing especially cuban salsa that is a that is a fancy type of salsa (laughs) totally um so what's what's next i mean uh i know you're you i don't think you have plans to to uh to move from egypt or anything i think you've pretty much settled there for now correct yeah it i don't know you know i mean people ask me like how did it come that you end up in egypt i'm like hmm, did i really end up there Mm -hmm. so we will see i mean things are changing life is changing when i said that at the beginning that uh, one of the reasons why i stayed in egypt were like having most friends per square meter in cairo now, after the revolution, after all these changes, many of my, my best friends have left the country. And so things are changing. And I mean, I definitely, I mean, Cairo will always be in, in my heart. And on the other hand, we will see what life brings. I'd, I'd love to, um, in the future, <laughs> because I, I, know, I know this one has become pretty long now, but in the future, I'd love to ask more about specifically about your decade in uh, in Egypt but yeah. um what uh, i guess i want to end off with with one question what country do you want to go to next that you haven't been to <laughs> just this morning i applied for the visa for india and uh, this is possible because the indian consulate in frankfurt does not follow the christian calendar so for us it's a second christmas holiday for them it's a normal working day so i went there this morning to drop my passport um, to get the visa. This is where I want to travel next. I also think about going to Mozambique. I'd love to, to spend some time there. And um, yeah, and the, I mean, the next countries that I already have scheduled for work, of course, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, Kosovo, Turkey again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So these are the countries that I already scheduled till end of March. Mm. Wow. In three months. That's wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so much. Crazy, I tell you. <laughs> wow. Um, well, great. I, I hope you hope that visa comes through for India. I, that's somewhere I'd love to go to one day. Um, but until that time, I do want to have you, I want to, I want to talk with you again uh, in the future about, Oh, so much. There, there's so much on on this list. I wouldn't even know where to begin. 
but but for now, um, thank you because uh, it's been it's been such a pleasure talking with you and just understanding more about your life. And I hope my hope, like it is with with this entire podcast and the reason I'm doing it, is that people hear these stories and uh, they hear they hear the way that people have gotten to these places and they they really decide you know uh, now's the time to to travel because i don't think there's ever is a right time i just think once you do it you do it and you won't regret it absolutely uh, the opposite i mean it's not just that you won't regret it you will really enjoy it yeah you have so many stories to tell and there's so much to discover um people to meet taste to try there's so many first times out there you know so yeah i think it's about traveling it's about learning languages um which is kind of traveling while still being at home <laughs> and uh, it's it's important to to widen the own horizon mhm mhm it's um certainly is a, a horizon widener that's, that's that's what it's been for me at least and um and and that's why i'm happy to be able to to do what i can and and give you know, people like you, the opportunity to tell your stories and to uh, share your experiences. So once again, Claudia, thank you very much for, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, and enjoy your time in Frankfurt. I haven't <laughs> been there yet, but there's there's definitely is going to be a time in the future where I do go there. Yes, let me know if you ever come to Frankfurt and I come over as well. And if you feel like traveling to Egypt, you're more than welcome. Come in a time when it's warmer because it's also currently winter time. Yeah, and Thank you very much for you, for for having this opportunity to to share my experiences and your questions. You know, there's this saying like, "May I ask you a question for your own information?" And this is what you just did by asking your questions. You made me think and travel back in time. Thank you very much for this. Well, thank you very much too. I hope you have yourself a good day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Small World Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to check out Claudia's newest initiative, Speak Green, at speak-green.com. And if you're interested in hearing more episodes, stay tuned and subscribe. The Small World Podcast is now available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music. So wherever you listen to podcasts, I'm there with you. Until next time, take care.